Hello and welcome to the Spiritual Solopreneur Series. Here's where we talk about everything, spiritual, business, how the two mesh together, and anything else that happens to come up. My guest today is Isis Fabian. Isis is a conscious leadership educator and coach. She helps business leaders and influencers navigate today's social and cultural landscape so that they can more effectively connect with the next generation. Welcome, Isis. Thank you, Bev. It is so wonderful to be here with you. I'm excited for this conversation. Me too. Thank you for coming. Isis, I find what you do to be quite interesting and unique in your niche. Uh, How did you come to be an advisor to leaders who are, in fact, looking for help negotiating or navigating today's social and cultural landscape? Because it can be a bit of a rough terrain out there, can it not, when you're trying to get a message across? Uh, Yeah, for sure. Um, It started with taking a research role at a uh, research think tank, a diversity, equity, and inclusion research think tank. And I ended up being on that research team for seven years. And in that role, I did a lot of different things. But uh, one of the most memorable things was uh, reviewing reams of quantitative data across all these different identity groups and doing tons of interviews and focus groups with people across all levels of corporate America, across all industries, all intersections of identity. I did research also outside the U.S. and Canada, Brazil, Poland, Hong Kong, UK, <laughs> Japan, so many different places. And I'm neurodivergent, uh, which means for me, a superpower that comes with that is a very pattern-based mind. So I can see really complex patterns. I can notice similarities and commonalities between things. So Over the course of seven years of doing this research, I felt like I kind of saw the matrix for how all these groups uh, were connected in this kind of core system of human hierarchy that was leading to what we see showing up differently for the trans community, for instance, for the Black community. Uh, Historically, there have been all these different elements, but it is this core oppressive system of uh, currently what we have today, white supremacist patriarchy, but it's been different things throughout human history. And I wanted to apply that that knowledge and that awareness in a way that could be more impactful than just continuing to put people to data buckets. And I also felt that the stories I was hearing from people um, would often be you know, cherry picked to serve a certain narrative with the data And I was tired of taking that kind of paternalistic approach and directing all the attention on these groups that are being marginalized, which is like the symptom of the system. I was like, I want to turn the lens around and look at the perpetrators of uh, these systems. And it's all of us, right? We all form the fabric of one another's oppression, (laughs) whether we want to admit that or not. And we tend to be much more comfortable in our victim mindset than we are in our oppressor mindset. And I recognize that there's going to be this tremendous uh, need for conscious leaders going forward. For me, that definition spans, you know, self-awareness, being able to uh, attract and leverage diverse teams, uh, being able to leverage unique human potential, see people as the real unique beings that they are, especially with AI coming on the scene. That's just going to be more and more important uh, as any differentiator is how do you kind of uh, reach one another's humanity in a way. So I, I saw the value of that, that skill set. I love educating people on these things. I'll talk about it all day long. I'll talk about my own mistakes. I use my own mind and thought patterns as examples a lot. And, uh, yeah, transformed from that research into, you know, I worked as an in-house consultant and subject matter expert in the tech world for almost three years. And now I just show up wherever I can be of service for leaders that are looking for that you know, integrated uh, awareness and elevating just who they are as, as humble <laughs> uh, people connecting with the <laughs> next generation of the world. Exactly. Interesting perspective when you think about our, our you know, white supremacist sort of uh, thing that's happening now. Well, it wasn't always that way. They're, they're, you know, going back into history and, you know, seeing the whole, seeing the whole perspective of you know how that evolved and so just as a practical example what would be what would somebody be coming to you for 
um, just as a quick, you know, example, whether it's uh, help with social media, a blog post or a conference or workshops or whatever. So on one end of the spectrum, it is coaching. So you might bring me in to coach a group of people who haven't been exposed to a lot of diversity, who are in a workplace where they're bringing certain views, or political ideologies, not realizing uh, the line between kind of violating someone else's uh, humanity and right to exist versus sharing your own lived experience. So coaching groups like that, people like that. Um, someone who's been reported to HR for being sexist, whatever, can be very helpful in, in those uh, types of settings. And then on the other end, it is a lot of workshops, presentations, especially for nonprofits, uh, smaller organizations, the tech world, where they're a little bit more progressive uh, in a lot of ways in a younger workforce, any place that just has an influx of Gen Z and, and younger millennials that are really bucking their current cultural norms, coming in with non-binary pronouns and all that. So I come in and do uh, workshops Again, integrating everything across the diversity spectrum might be one workshop on neurodiversity and disability and pronouns and gender identity and the relationship between all those things, really trying to build connective tissue so we can witness each other's shared humanity instead of being like, today I'm learning about Black people. Today I'm learning about people in wheelchairs. Right. Right. So I'll, I'll, I'll stop there with kind of those two ends and anything in between. Gotcha. <laughs> and it's that, that it's what we don't know what we don't know that is the the worst danger. You know, you don't even know you're doing these things. So we need somebody like you to let us know. <laughs> and I will say quickly, I'm very big on differentiating between ignorance and bigotry, right? Mm -hmm. Because right now we treat them like they're the same. And traditional diversity and inclusion and social justice discourse treats those as one and the same. And they're just factually not, right? A lot of people who might say the most ignorant sounding things will be the fastest to learn about another group and show so much humility uh, about what they didn't know and be like, oh my gosh, I'm learning so much in this conversation versus someone who's truly bigoted and malicious and saying the exact same things, but it's coming from a malicious place. Uh, so I, I really think we need a lot more kindness and nuance in these conversations across the board. Absolutely. Now, I know that you've had a few spiritual experiences in your life. We've had a, a couple of conversations uh, touching on that. And I do want to talk about how your spirituality sort of uh, is manifested in what you do. But uh, how did you first or when did you first realize that there's more to this life than just the uh, stuff that we see and feel? So it's, it's hard to pinpoint a moment in time, uh, as, as I'm sure we'll talk about more, I've been lucid dreaming since I was a child. So there's always that element of feeling like there's this whole other world, this whole other manifestation that I'm witnessing and bearing witness to in a way that no one else seems to talk about. And it just, it caused a lot of, you know, skepticism about the world. I think the reason I was lucid dreaming so much is because I was such a hyper observant child. And again, that's the neurodivergence, but I would just observe everything and there was just something that always felt very off just about the kind of um, societal rules that we have, the physical world, everyone's willingness to kind of like march around and act like this is just how it is. Well, there's like, you know, a moon hanging in the sky. <laughs> there's just something about, I was like, there's something missing here because it's just too arbitrary and too specific. And I always was thinking, you know, broader than the U.S. where I was born. How do people outside of my country experience the world? What do they see, you know, beyond my planet? I was always so, I don't know why, just curious and desperate to get out of my own center. And uh, I had some paranormal experiences over the years, which for a long time I just locked away and compartmentalized. I was like, not thinking about that, just locking that over there. Uh, but that created this this kind of, you know, continuing like, like, pilot flame. I was like, oh, there's something to interrogate here. And then it wasn't until during the pandemic when I read uh, Katie Mack's book, I think it's called The End of Everything, Astrophysically Speaking. And um, so it's very big on science. I always identified as, you know, agnostic, you know, close to atheist. I, I always looked down my nose at people who um, were religious my whole life. You know, I just thought that was, you had to be kind of silly to, to believe those things. And then it wasn't until I read this really in-depth book on astrophysics and all the, the um, knowledge we have through science and don't have about the universe and the destiny of the universe that I was humbled into realizing, like, I'm not a scientist over here. I thought a lot of stuff was accounted for by science. That simply isn't. I thought science had figured out gravity, for instance, right? 
they don't know what it is. They don't know why it happens. They have the formulas for it. There was a theory in this book about it being, you know, spread across the multiverse. And that's why it's such a weak force compared to all the other forces in the universe. They had all kinds of speculation. And suddenly it's almost like that book gave me permission to let go of this need for control and certainty. And finally, you know, I was looking up at the stars at night. I didn't get this, like, this terrible feeling of like, it's just empty out there. And like that, I felt like I had to believe because I had this very science oriented mindset. I was able to just let go and be like the feelings I have about the true nature of reality that I've kind of suppressed my whole life, but experienced directly and indirectly are so much more real than what's just observable with the very subjective human eye. It is very subjective. And you would think that science would be able to explain gravity. I mean, you, you I think a lot of people assume <laughs> that it is, it is explainable, but uh, actually it's not. Now, did some of these experiences sort of shape your, um, your business or, you know, your career path? Definitely. Uh, in parallel with what I was learning through my research, which was that corporate America was so deeply unfair and unjust and telling itself so many lies about efficiency and productivity and concepts like professionalism and just just the scales falling from my eyes over and over again and that in that research as I saw what corporate America really was and how ridiculously inequitable it was and realizing I could go have all kinds of privilege you know I could work in wealth management I could be a millionaire <laughs> easy easy money but I had no desire to do that, to play the game in the system as long as it was so inequitable. So I was having that happen on one side. And on the other side, I was having this kind of uh, spiritual awakening as I you know, became financially stable in my my own life. I got all the things I wanted, right? A house, a life partner, um, financial stability, whatever I needed. And there was still this massive missing, you know, piece. So I realized that my career could never be about hoarding money, <laughs> which is essentially what we're told to do. And it's actually incredible to look back and realize like that I ever just bought that. Like, I just was like, yeah, that makes sense. Like that's like never interrogated it. Right. It's most of us don't um, and realize we are all connected and we are all immortal. You know, I started having, um, I did past life regressions. I did a lot of work in my lucid dreaming where I was able to go meet my higher self and speak with her and learn a lot from her. Uh, I had a couple people close to me die. I had one friend a year younger than me took his own life right before the pandemic. And then I had um, my only grandparent that I've ever known uh, pass away at 99. And there was something in experiencing those deaths. I'd never had someone very close to me die before. And just knowing that they had gone somewhere, you know, the previous version of me wanted to be like, they, they don't exist anymore. And I was just like, I just know that that's not true. Right. I can't force myself to uh, internalize that. And it was the death of my my contemporary, you know, peer friend that really I really had to struggle with that belief uh, for the first time. And that was before the, the pandemic. So I hadn't had as much of that awakening yet. So it was seeing that we all are immortal in that way or these immortal beings. This is not the beginning. It is not the end. I had a, another lucid dream around my past lives and meeting a bunch of my past lives and being guided through that by my first human incarnative self. Not was not expecting that. And so it just like really blew open my perspective, lost all fear of death and just made it impossible, right? To, to go about business as usual. So, uh, yeah, definitely impacts my, my business life, my personal life. I felt a personal calling, for instance, from my higher self and the higher self above that one to, uh, to be a bridge in this world, you know, gesturing toward that reality. And uh, that's why I struck out on my own. So many people think it's like wild to do at my age, I guess. It's just like, why would you do that? You can make so much stable money <laughs> in a corporate job. I'm like, but that's not what I care about. And it doesn't matter how many times I say it, right? There's certain people who will never hear that and never understand what I mean when I say that. Uh, but I feel like being free to do as I please, to show up places like this wherever I can and just flow with the energy of the universe um, makes it so I can serve my purpose uh, more effectively. So now my life is centered around that spiritual purpose that has been handed down to me rather than whatever paradigm I was operating according to before. So short answer is yes. It has dramatically impacted my awesome. professional life. I love that. Hoarding money. That, that is, that's been the objective. That is the objective. Right? According right. to uh, 
some people. And uh, that's what we learned. That's what we learned growing up. Right. So you, talking about your uh, lucid dreaming, um, this is something that is very interesting to me because I can't barely remember my dreams, never mind directing them or <laughs> meeting anyone like a higher self or the one above that. I didn't even know there was a one above that. <laughs> uh, so how can I do this and uh, should I <laughs> and what benefit uh, obviously it's a it's a benefit to you because of this uh, things entities you've met and places you've gone so, so let, me, let me just back up to the mechanics of it for a sec uh, how does it work are you dreaming and you realize that you're dreaming and then go into something else is that what happens no it's like uh it would be like right now and my dreams are hyper realistic as well uh maybe compared to other people so it would be a setting as real as the moment i'm in with you right now for whatever reason in the moment of having this conversation i might realize for instance i don't remember waking up this morning how did i get here how did this start and then that's when i realize i'm dreaming and everything stays the way it is. You know, I, I feel, I often ground myself by feeling the surfaces around me, by rubbing my hands together. Um, and it's as real, it really is as real as this world. And what you realize is everything we perceive in the waking world is in our own minds, right? And like going back to science for a second, there's nothing, there's nothing objective about the material world around us. As I always say, like in a dream, I can look at the floor over here to the right that my dog is laying on and I can say now in waking life, right? I could go walk on that floor. I'm not going to fall into oblivion. It's a solid floor. I can walk on it. But the same thing is true in a dream, right? Would you say that there's a floor there just because I can see it and I know that if I get up and walk over to over on it, I'm not going to fall into oblivion. Does that mean there's a floor there? Right. No. So that's, <laughs> right. So that's, no, there's no floor there. Uh, realizing is, and there's another book. I actually have it on my desk. Um, this guy works in advertising, but it's the case against reality. And it's it's his own kind of run down this rabbit hole and realizing like there's no scientific basis. We just take for granted. This is this is real, according to some, you know, definition of real. <laughs> Won't even get into that. Uh, and when I, you know, leave, my couch is still here the way that it is right now. And it is a couch and that's what it is. And not understanding that that's actually an icon for something. So I see that in my dreams a lot. Things will shift and change. A lot of us experience, for instance, we're in a dream with a person and the person goes from being our mother to being our father, to being our brother, to being our spouse, to being our best friend. Uh, if you remember your dreams, you might uh, be able to remember that. I notice it, you know, in real time. And it's because the best way to describe it is like our dreams are the fragmentation of our own consciousness into its own world, right? So my whole con the buildings are me, the floor is me. The sky is me. Every person there is me. And when I'm lucid dreaming, if I choose to, I usually don't do this, but I can actually suck my consciousness out of people that I'm interacting with. And they become kind of like a husk. It's very creepy. So I don't do it that much, but uh, it really is like, it makes you wonder, right? Like, well, why is then the waking world as stable as it seems? It feels like it's just a, another level up of a, another fragmented higher consciousness, which is what I believe and the direct experiences I've had would, would indicate that. Um, so back to your question about what it's like actually in the dream, it is just like this. It is the same as, as being here, you know, eating food is an incredible experience. I'm just like eating, you know, and it's something the most delicious food you know, you've ever tasted. Um, there's a lot of different vibes to it. You know, I do a dream journal every morning. Sometimes it's more colorful. Sometimes it's more gray. Sometimes there's a sharpness to it. Sometimes there's a softness to it. I equate it to like, if you think about periods of your life, uh, you think back to like high school or think back to, you know, a place you used to live that you don't live anymore. There's qualities to that period of time, right? That you couldn't have indicated in the moment. But now looking back, you can say, was it more gray or was it more colorful? Was it darker or lighter? Was it heavier or more weightless. Um, it, we can see those qualities looking back, right? And so uh, I try to keep track of all of that because then I can start to see what's happening in my unconscious. I'm at a point now where I'm actually trying to interpret the metaphors of the dreams while I'm in the 
which is really challenging. And I often end up messing up my part in the plot when I do that and confusing, you know, the people around me because I'm asking them questions. They're like, what are you talking about? So I don't know how good that, that tactic that turns out to be, but controlling the dream is not the point. I think that's, that's the biggest uh, message I would want to get to anyone who wants to lucid dream. Sure. I had my years of, you know, running around, flying, hooking up with whoever was around, uh, whatever I could come up with, you know, eating a bunch of food, uh, whatever there was. And um, it's, it's really not the point. And you'll feel your your mind fight you. You know, it'll try to push you into another dream, uh, have you wake up in your room. You think you just woke up from the dream, but actually it's a new dream. And we'll do all of these tricks to get you to stop doing that and get back on track with the intended storyline, because those storylines are really important and they're serving our... Um, the, the work that's happening in our unconscious and we're just an ego dropping in to witness it. So to people who can't remember their dreams, I actually think in some ways you're in a better place than people who can, but don't understand what dreams are because they misinterpret them all the time. You know, they'll have a dream about somebody and think the dream was actually about that person. And it wasn't, it was about, it was about them. And that person was like an actor playing the part of you that they best represent because you have something going on with that part of you. So they're just, you know, again, a husk for a piece of you. So if it's a journey you want to go on, there are techniques to improve your (laughs) dream recall, uh, which is the first step to improving lucid dreaming. But it's a long journey. I have been on it my whole life. Okay. Okay. Well, you got to start somewhere. So, um, yeah, I I will start. So it sounds like the, the... the uh, the lucid dreaming is uh, continuing on. I mean, we're here to learn lessons, uh, I, I guess. Yeah. And so there's a, another level of learning going on in in the lucid dreaming, right? It's not about, let's see, I thought it was all about, you know, going to the moon and <laughs> if you wanted to and things like that. I'd say that's more astral projecting, right? Which is its own, yes. own category. And I think anything that's happening in the greater world or in the external world, right? There is a corollary happening in our interior world. And we've heard of like manifestation, right? When like, I think bad things happen to me and my life is bad and only bad things happen to me. That is the energy that I put out and is the energy that I attract. The universe doesn't know the difference between what we want and what we don't want. It's only what am I manifesting? What am I putting energy into? And so just like you said, it's a learning that's happening for us as our ego in the waking world when we're dreaming. It is an internal kind of calibration that's happening with our entire unconscious. You can think of it as inside yourself, there's hundreds of people. You can divide consciousness into as many small, small pieces as you want. It's not really a size thing, but you have so many different aspects of yourself. I mean, again, think about who you were as a child. That's a different version of you, but they're still in there, but that's not who you are now. So where are they? right? There's uh, the person you are when you yelled at your mom or whatever, right? Like there's all these different versions of us. They flow seamlessly through our ego um, in how we show up every day. And we get confused because we identify with the ego and we think my ego at any given moment is me when really it's just a little sliver of uh, of our whole self. So the dream world is where all those selves are interacting. Um, you know, when I started my business, for instance, I set an intention through self-hypnosis to have absolute unwavering confidence and certainty in myself. That was my intention, right? And so you can set intentions like that, then your unconscious will work with them. And I can see it happening in my dreams. In this case, it was much more overt than it often is where this very powerful masculine energy was being invited in. And it manifested in all these different ways, all these, each dream, it was like a different man, there was like a wedding and then there was like a marrying off of my past self to some, to some other place and like all these celebrations. And then there was all this chaotic energy that came in and I couldn't, um, I couldn't like sleep in my dreams. I was being followed around by this huge group of people that just kept showing up in all these different ways. Like I couldn't get any peace. It was all this long kind of like, it's almost like a, an acquisition of a company acquiring another or something, right? It's just like all of this stuff that has to be calibrated and and parts that have to learn how to work together and uh, ceremonies and celebrations. And like, and it it really is a reminder that you wake up from that and you're in this world. You're like, this is the same thing. We live in a world of symbols, everything about our, our, our world. It makes you see weddings very differently. It makes you see um, birthdays differently. It's just like all these little uh, rituals and things that we have are serving this kind of connective calibration 
amongst us as humans. And it's all a reflection of the of the interior as well. It's really cool. That that is fascinating. Well, thoughts are things, as as the book said. So you're absolutely mm-hmm. right. When uh, we have these kinds of thoughts, that's what is materialized in in our life. Um, I, I want to ask you about something else. Last time we spoke, you mentioned something called spiritual bypass. And uh, we, we were just, as we were talking, you just kind of floated it by. And I went, what is that? What is spiritual bypass? And is it something that you come across in your work? So it's a negative thing. Spiritual bypass. Thing. Okay. Yeah. And it is uh, something that I see becoming a bigger issue in my work as people find the spiritual path. It's frankly a much bigger problem for white people than any other group, because what tends to happen is we make the discovery that, oh, I am an eternal being. You might have a past life memory that returns where you're not the same race or ethnicity or gender, and you really detach from your identity on this plane uh, and detach from accountability for that identity. So there's a lot of um, what spiritual bypassing tends to look like is in spiritual communities that are overwhelmingly white or homogenous in some other way, or men are really controlling them a lot and have a lot of the authority in them. When people try to raise these issues about that imbalance, the spiritual bypassing sounds like saying, well, we are all genderless and we are all raceless and we are all one. We are, you know, caring about these things, talking about these things is uh, keeping us in a baser, more primitive kind of space uh we need to transcend all of that right how can we transcend it we're talking about it all the time but we don't realize is that we can have all this intellectual spiritual awareness but our bodies right my body is matter descended from a lineage of enslavers in this in this world right the the bodies that made my body enslaved other bodies so there's things that my body knows and one of them is that it's entitled to take up space and that, you know, non-white bodies should get out of my way and that my body's more important and it's more valuable and all of these things. Like that's that's embodied knowledge. That's not something I need to believe intellectually for my body to move through the world with that knowledge. And so spiritual bypassing um, really cuts us off from that discovery and the deep work and uh, uh, Resma Menachem is a, is a great leader in the somatic abolition space. So I'd refer anyone to him who wants to learn more about this. Uh, the deep body work, it's very different from the kind of intellectual, spiritual exploration, even uh, meditation, all these other things. They connect you back to that timeless, eternal self, but uh, they're not as concerned with the the ramifications of our material existence. And we can cause a lot of harm uh, just by failing to do that work. So that's that's a example of what spiritual bypassing looks like. Yeah, so it's almost like a, an entitlement of its own. It's kind of like, well, we don't have to worry about these niggly things because, you know, uh, there are a bit, it's a bigger, bigger, there's bigger perspectives to think about. And so it becomes like an excuse. <laughs> yeah, and it's much bigger than just the example I gave, right? Like if you and I were in a spiritual community together and I was regularly emotionally manipulating you and you were saying like, hey, you're emotionally manipulating me. I'm just like, you just have a lot of feelings, you know, you need to learn to transcend those yeah. feelings like I've, I'm, you're, I'm getting some very negative energy from you. You're being very <laughs> negative. So I need you to actually stay away from me because you're really, you're really harming my energy. All right. Like that's also <laughs> bypassing. It's anything that kind of says, uh, forget about whatever human issue or need you're having because that's, uh, you know, it's not important. <laughs> right. It's not important. That has, that's actually detracting from the spiritual exactly. uh, journey. Not the case. Exactly. Um, it's, it's sort of the opposite to to what, what I think a lot of spiritual solopreneurs um, experience, which is that voice in their head, that that negative voice in their head that keeps saying, um, "Who are you to be charging money for your spiritual gifts?" or "Who are you to be charging that much money for your spiritual gifts?" or my personal favorite is, "You can't do that. You you can't you can't do that." So. Um, from a business perspective, what, what would you, uh, what is your advice for, uh, solopreneurs in particular, I think, cause they're kind of on their own, um, yeah. going through that, um, you know, just trying to quieten that negative voice in the head. 
So I think there's, there's two parts of this, right? One, because you brought up money. I think the money piece is its own thing. Money is a unique concept icon entity uh, for us. And we have so much to deconstruct around our relationship with money. So when we think, oh, who, how can I charge that much, you know, for this and that, we're thinking about money as this like expenditure. It's an exchange of energy. And there really is a, a circulation of money, right? I, I like to think about it. When I go to the local business down the street, I'm circulating my money. When I go to Amazon, I am spending my money because Jeff Bezos or whoever is going to hoard it, right? There's people who keep scooping the money out of our economy and hoarding it. And then there, everyone else is, is circulating it. I mean, if you and I were a community of two people, right? And we had $1 of currency, we'd just be trading it back and forth all the time, right? Money is not a real thing. It's supposed to be a means of exchange, but there are people who have bastardized that. And those people control our society and control all of our institutions and systems and structures. And so the rest of us have internalized this idea about money as if we, if we come into any money, we're kind of like stealing it from somebody. Like it's, it's this thing that someone else, you know, had to, had to really scrape around to get. And now we are taking it from them or we're somehow tricking them out of it. And, it's a finite supply. <laughs> right. Right. I mean, I think especially for people with spiritual gifts, there's so many people disconnected from the spiritual. There's so many people who they make, you know, six figures in their tech job. I've worked with a ton of people like this. They would spend whatever it takes to get out of the spiritual hole that they're in as soon as they realize that's what it is, or they connect with a coach who opens things up for them, open things up for them, right? Like you have to do it based off of the value that you're delivering. If they, if it is worth that amount of money to that person, like that, that's what it is. That's how you, that's, that's a good or how you price a good or service. And when you undercharge and you can't sustain yourself, then you aren't showing up the way you need to for your clients. And you're not going to be able to keep delivering your gift in the world. I think that is what the baseline is for me is like, how much do I need to charge to be able to keep delivering my gift to the world? Because all of us have a gift to deliver. And and that's really all we're here to do is be our authentic self and find that gift and channel that into the world. So by having these constructs about money and money is a fake thing, right? By letting those constructs get in the way of you doing that, you're really not serving your your higher mission. I think the second part of the question is around just like the voice, the negative voice. When we try to quiet it, even that kind of language, right? We're putting attention on it. We're saying, hey, you shut up. Again, anything we give attention or energy to just gets stronger, right? That just makes it more real. And so it can never be a matter of giving it um, energy. I actually yesterday was doing a meditation uh, about fear and in, and I had gotten to a very relaxed state and there's an invitation to look your fear in the eye and, and say, hello, how are you? Why are you here? You know, and I wasn't feeling particularly fearful that day, but I was like, okay, I'll, I'll do this because I'm doing this meditation. And my fear actually appeared to me as a white dragon with red eyes. And it was like a fishy kind of dragon just kind of floating. And it was looking right at me while kind of floating just like this. And was just looking at me and I was like, hi, how, how are you doing? Right. And this is after learning that the best way to, to handle these things, to have a conversation say, okay, what are you so afraid of? No, I'm not the one who's afraid. You're afraid. What are you so afraid of? Right. What is it? Oh, you want to make sure we keep a roof over our heads. Okay. Where's the threat? Where's the reason that we can't keep a roof over our heads? What's, what's, the thing I understand that you're concerned, but I've got it taken care of. I promise you that, right? And like literally getting to a place where I'm like, I'm holding this little dragon like on my, so I'm petting it like it's my cat, you know. I'm like, it's okay, it's gonna be okay. All right, you don't have to worry about this. Like all the stuff you're worried about, like you don't need to worry about it. Uh, it's almost like a going back to your inner child kind of reparenting thing, right? So you can try stuff like that, and if you still have that voice going, just make it the background noise that it is. You know, put your attention somewhere else, even if you have to distract yourself. Just not giving it attention, let it become that kind of background white noise. It's really powerless. You know, it, it is if you don't give it power. But giving it the attention and the fighting it, that's what makes it worse. And that's what um, makes it sustained. Because the dragon, when you're doing that, the dragon's like, yeah, I must be bringing up some really good points because she's dropped everything to focus on me and what I'm and what I'm bringing to the table. So I'm going to be even louder because I'm like, yeah, yeah, you're right. This is what we got to focus on. I'm really afraid of all this stuff. 
right? Like that's literally what we're, what we're doing. Right. And so again, it's another aspect of self. We can't discard or sever any parts of ourselves that all only takes us backwards, right? It's all about seeing, witnessing, embracing, loving. When we do that work within ourselves, we're able to set that example within the world. That is awesome. Uh, embrace the thing, give it a little love, let it kind of have its its background noise and eventually it might just disappear or temporarily disappear at least. And if it comes back, just feel like, oh, why are you here? Oh, you're back. Oh, wow, you're concerned. What is it? I mean, I do the same thing with my cat. He starts meowing. I'm like, what? Exactly. What is it? Exactly. What is it? The the dog barks at, when someone's at the door. I'm like, I got it covered. It's okay. It's okay. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Look at my phone. We can see who it is. <laughs> Don't worry. Right. Right. Exactly. <laughs> So I, I do want to ask you about the, um, you, you talk about, uh, the sort of societal shift towards, uh, social justice, uh, and that sort of thing. Um, it, this ascension or earth reset thing that I keep hearing about and not really understanding, is that part of that or is that something entirely different? Or do you know? <laughs> They're probably related. Uh, there is, and I, I've received, you know, from my higher, higher self visions of kind of what's happening on, on earth, uh, right now. It is an inflection point. It is, uh, very special time to be incarnate on earth. I actually get the impression that there's a lot of energy that would love to be incarnate on earth right now at this time, but only the ones who had the greatest potential for growth and learning are here. So we're here at this inflection point. What's it going to look like? We don't know, but we can see the collapse happening all around us. You know, it's happening. It's, it's, it, we're in the midst of it, right? You can choose to be a frog in the slowly boiling water and be like, I don't know what you're talking about, but these systems are collapsing. More and more people are recognizing that it's happening to the natural world, you know, faster because we've been trying, we've been creating the collapse and also protecting ourselves uh, from it. But it, it it is happening. And the earth is a much bigger, much more powerful energy than any of us. We're part of the earth, right? Just like in my dreams, all those people are me. All of us are the earth and so much more. And the more than human animals that are all on the same energetic frequency where they understand how to live in balance. And we are like the black sheep that has gone off and is like totally disconnected and totally confused. And they're just like, hate to see that happen to him. But, you know gotta feel sorry for the guy, right? Like that's really the vibe from the rest of, of, of life on earth. And now what I see happening every day, I feel like I, I, I hear from a new person or see a new person who is like putting two and two together, or having these kind of spiritual needs that have, have arisen, you know, only recently. And on the one end, you see people falling to addiction, right? Falling off the wagon, just like the ones who are the most invested in the illusion of this society in this world they just can't handle what I, what I perceive as like a rising vibration that's like affecting everybody, but it's, are you prepared to resonate with it or are you going to fall apart? And uh, like I said, it is happening right now. Dominoes are falling. Preparing doesn't look like hoarding material, hoarding food or whatever. It is an internal preparation. It's actually really exciting because we all have the means to do this. There's an expansion of the inner vessel, right? You know, I talked earlier about releasing the fear of death. If you can get to that place and really have that faith in your eternal being, that does a lot uh, because you're like, yeah, I could die today. I don't care, right? I'm truly not attached to just living as long as possible. Again, where did that idea come from, right? You'll have an ant sacrifice themselves for the colony without a thought, but we just think that living as long as possible is this very important thing that we must do, just like hoarding money, like this is just critical to uh, everything we're supposed to learn and 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 our purpose for existence. Uh, avoid suffering at all costs, right? When through suffering and discomfort is where a lot of our, our learning happens. So I think the preparation really looks like that inner work. And this is where it ties back into the work that I do, or try to create that bridge for people to just see things differently, think differently, bring that self-awareness a little more broad and start being honest with yourself. That's where it starts, right? When you're making judgments of people around you, when you have feelings that are strong, 
really interrogating where did that come from? Why am I having that feeling about that person? If I see a man wearing a dress, right? There's a lot of people who are like, uh, like they feel scared and uncomfortable and gross. And uh, that feeling is not about that person, right? Just like that dream is not about your husband. The feeling is about you. Every feeling we have is about ourselves. Every judgment we make is about ourselves. Every conclusion we draw is about ourselves. We are living in, you know, delusion as we're projecting it out into the rest of the world. So it is a journey of bringing that awareness inward, thinking like, why do I have the hate in my heart? Right? Where is this coming from? An example I love to give in very liberal progressive circles when people are really like nodding their heads about this. I'm like, how do you feel about Trump supporters? Like, oh, I hate them. That's the one place where I just can't. I'm like, okay, there you go. Like you're literally all of it is people who won't get vaccinated and Trump supporters. Like it's, it's so strong and palpable. I talk about the superiority inferiority complex a lot, because that's really what all this boils down to is the idea that any given human being can be superior or inferior to another, right? That is an illusion. And so to say, well, I, I, I agree with you, except for Trump supporters. (laughs) That's where I draw the line. (laughs) And that's, and that, that sounds very reasonable. They're like, except of course, you know, people (laughs) voted for Donald Trump, except for them, of course, (laughs) that probably goes without saying, I'm like, no, no. you know, that's, those are human beings, right? We're all delusional in one way or another. And people are reacting to their impulse of needing these structures and systems to change. They need them to change because they're seeing that what they're getting is not enough and it's not feeding their spiritual needs. And they might look at the government. I mean, honestly, the political divide is like one side sees how corrupt the government is and the other side sees how corrupt corporations are. (laughs) Well, it's just a lot of like fighting back and forth across that. I'm like, okay, well, they're both completely corrupt. So I know that's hard to swallow, but they're all, and they're all working together. They're all, they're all on the same page. We're the ones who are not on the same page. They love that we're fighting amongst ourselves about stuff like this. Cause it just doesn't, you know, it just doesn't matter. Makes it much um, easier for them to conquer. <laughs> maintain the status quo, right? Yeah. To just, to, to create artificial inflation and whatever else. We won't get into all of that, but this is what, this is what the internal work looks like. It's realizing that rage, you know, you're putting outward, like it's not going to satisfy that deep, need that deep fear, that deep hole, work with our own fear. What is the genesis of it? What does it actually mean? Where does it come from? Can we get in touch with our eternal self, right? There's a lot of different ways to do that. Some people learn uh, tarot and get really into that. Some do um, hypnosis. You can also do obviously the lucid dreaming. Other people do astral projecting, I'm sure there's many other ways. <laughs> deep meditation, if you can, that's obviously the most ideal approach. If you can get into deep meditation and get to that state where you are not aware of your surroundings, but you're awake, well, kind of like asleep, but aware, uh, that moment between wakefulness and sleep, we're also unaware of it. None of us have any memories of it, but that's a very real space and place that we're in. That's kind of like the best place you can get to. I mean, I'm at a place now where I can ask my higher self a yes or no question at any time of day. And I have to be very careful with how I formulate the question. Because, right. because you might know. get what you ask for. Well, it's not even like asking, can you give me this? But just saying like, should I do this or this? Hmm. Um, or even saying, is it better to do this or this, right? They might say, oh, it's better to do that because it's going to cause me tremendous suffering a week from now, but I'm going to learn more from that. So, right. Better, <laughs> right? so it, it's be very careful with how you uh, formulate questions if you, you get to that place. But um, I, I do think it is, it is first just finding a spiritual community, finding whatever works for you to recognize that you are an eternal, you're an eternal being. This life is not, this is not, it is an avatar right, for you. I, I thought I liken it to like identifying with the finger puppet, right? I'm the, I'm the person with the finger. I'm not the finger puppet, but these, <laughs> these bodies, like the way that we're out here, we all are so identified with the finger puppet. We're like, I'm, I'm going to die. I'm, losing my mind. I can't take this anymore. It's like, no, you can. Right. But it's the, it is the puppet that you're identifying with that feels overwhelmed. Right. It's the same. And it's much easier for me because I see it in my dreams. So I can core, I can bring that as a corollary back to uh, real life. You have these stress dreams, you know, you're so stressed out. I don't know if you, you say you don't remember your dreams. So I don't know if you remember any like nightmares or stress dreams. Oh, yeah. Occasionally. Like, <laughs> yeah, Usually, they just get worse and worse when you yeah. uh, realize it. And you know what's really interesting? I've had moments where I have realized I'm dreaming in the middle of a super stressful situation. And I and I don't want to accept it, that, that I'm dreaming. You would think you'd be like, oh, what a relief. 
I don't have to deal with trying to make this flight anymore. Thank God. You know, that's what you would think. Instead, I'm like, so attached to the stress. I'm like, no, but I'm trying to make this flight. I've made it so far down the terminal. It's like, if I could just realize I'm never going to make the flight, that's the whole point of the dream is I'm never going to make the flight. I'm going to be running into obstacle after obstacle. That's what this dream is about. No, I'd rather be like, no, I'm so close. The gate's right over there. You know, and I'm like, going to no. make it. I'm going to make it. No, you're not. <laughs> For me, that was a revelation because I was like, here I am in, in waking life. We get attached to stress in the same way. We're like so attached to the things that we are fighting for and the brick walls that we're hitting our heads against, right? It's like an unhealthy relationship where it's like, no, I'm going to make it work. I don't want evidence, like someone to slap proof in front of me that this relationship is doomed. A genie could come down and be like, I'm from the future. This relationship is horrible. The sooner you get out, the better. You're like, I don't want to hear that. (laughs) Right. It doesn't, we don't care about the truth as much as we uh, think we do. So to really recognize, um, recognize that. And one other thing I'll say is the, uh, I don't know if you've heard the concept of the second arrow of suffering from the Buddha. It's a long like metaphor why it's called that, but it's basically uh, the concept that there is the pain we will experience that's unavoidable, right? Like you break your foot, but there's a second suffering that we inflict completely upon ourselves. And as an example of how I've been integrating this in my life, the other day I stubbed my toe and I went to do the thing I always do, which is to grab my toe and go, uh, you know, just be like, no, just be like angry about it and fight the pain. And I remembered that I was trying to integrate this practice whenever I feel pain. And instead, I just, I kept my facial expression neutral. I left my foot where it was. And I just let, I put all my attention on the pain instead of trying to deny it and fight it. Let the pain radiate out from my toe through the rest of my body, just radiate out and made my whole body present to the pain. And it was literally like 10% as painful as a normal toe stub would be just by just by denying the second arrow of suffering just by not creating that whole narrative around it it's the same thing we were talking about with those um the intrusive thoughts earlier right when you fight them they get so much more powerful when you have pain like that and you're trying to fight it and you're like no i won't be present to this pain i won't witness the pain you're just causing it to metastasize inward on itself which just makes it worse and worse and more and more powerful same with when you're grieving the death of someone if you're alone it's so much harder because the pain just metastasizes inward and folds in on itself. When you're surrounded, say, by your 10 closest family and friends that are all holding you and they're all present to your grief as you're crying and releasing that, it's so much more of a release because they're actually receiving and and metabolizing your pain. They have bodies that can do that because they're not, you know, being wrecked by the same pain that you are. So that's that's been a huge discovery for me is the whole second arrow stuff. I've been applying it everywhere and it's truly incredible how much stress it has just erased from my life. <laughs> wow. That is fascinating. So it sounds like this ascension thing is it's the, the vibration is ascending and, and so, and we're all sort of feeling the effects of it, whether we realize it or not. And, and that's my that's my personal yeah, assessment. I think yeah. people would describe it all different ways. Yeah, that makes total sense to me. Well, um I, I, we've talked about quite a few things and I just wonder if you have a sort of parting message, a, a little message for the uh, general message for uh, whoever is viewing this uh, conversation. Yeah, I guess um I probably already said this, but to speak directly to someone viewing this conversation, what I'd love for them to, you know, at least consider, if not take away, is know that you are divine, you are perfect, your behaviors and illusions might not be, uh, but don't be afraid of the you that is deep down, the real you, right? Stop trying to discard and sever off parts of yourself. Uh, the only thing the world needs from anyone is for you to be authentically who you are. Be the writing implement <laughs> that your higher self is using, right? Let the ink of divine intelligence <laughs> flow through you, right? Uh, be what you actually are and not what societal norms and all of these structures are telling you that you're supposed to be and and really get in touch with that. We all have that inside. We know the ways that we mask ourselves and pretend to be some something we're not. The, the most important thing you can do where you're like, who should I be? What should I do is like, what does it take to be who you actually are? Right. I really like the writing implement one. It's like your higher self's trying to write and you're like throwing the pen all over the place. You're like, ah, I can't write the story because you keep, you know, what am I? Who am I? What am I doing here? It's like, just be, be, and, and it will flow through you. And stillness is the first step to that 
meditation, being still, sitting, thinking. Just sit and think. A lot of people give up on meditation because they're like too many thoughts keep coming in their head. And they're like, oh, I can't do this. Okay, then just sit and think. How often do you do that? Don't let the let the thoughts come, just like the the negative thoughts. Let yeah. the thoughts come in meditation, and it, it'll eventually it it will eventually calm down if you're if you're yeah. just sitting there still. And even if you just are thinking your thoughts, you know, yeah. if you don't know what to do, especially for solopreneurs who have like a different kind of day, the way your day is organized, no one else kind of owns your time. If you don't know what to do with yourself, you want to be productive, but you have that very kind of frenetic energy and you're just like, oh, like, I don't know what to do right now. Just sit and be with your thoughts. You can try to meditate, but eventually the right next step will come to you. It'll just come. That is your higher self speaking to you. It's like, okay, now that all that noise is gone, can you do the thing that I want you to do? Can you consider it? And you're like, oh, I hadn't even thought about doing that, right? Like, stillness it can't flow and we're we're so addicted to distracting ourselves because it's scary the world we live in it's very scary to actually sit with reality <laughs> like it's yeah terrifying. it's much easier just to, to send it away and, and be distracted in the sand, right in the sand. Like, like ants on a log you know like oh i don't need to know what a log is i don't need to know what the yeah. forest is i just i've got a crumb to carry and that's it that's you it. know and i need to watch tv now <laughs> right why and think of like interrogate why we do these things and why mm-hmm. we have these thoughts and judgments right why do i feel this pull to turn on the tv while the tv is on why do i feel a pull to pick up also my phone exactly <laughs> i also have a pull to get a snack like i'm never ooh. satisfied right what am i what am i Right. Satisfied in what way and with what? And like, what are these things obscuring, you know, by having these things, keeping my mind occupied? It really is like a a little death in a way. I mean, you can lose hours to uh, watching TV or on TikTok or whatever it is. I'm not saying that I don't do these things. I'm just like sitting in meditation all the time. It's very hard to let go of these numbing behaviors, but it's because we want to dissociate from the reality that we're so familiar with from the consensus reality because deep down we know that there's something very wrong with it there's something so antithetical to our true nature about this consensus uh reality but i think the the rising influence is to challenge the consensus reality to be different to show you there is another way other than just coping i think so many people are just coping with this reality right now and uh, it's just not going to be, it's not going to be sufficient. I think it's just not going to be enough. Like you said, you're never satisfied, right? There's a, there's a much deeper spiritual need and it's going to make itself more and more known for each person as time goes on. Exactly. Isis, where can people find out more about you and your services and how to get in touch with you? Uh, I would say isisfabian.com. Easiest place, I-S-I-S-F-A-B-I-A-N. Uh, and I also post more on LinkedIn than anywhere else. So if you want to see the stuff I, I write about and talk about, uh, LinkedIn is the best spot. Awesome. Well, I want to thank you so much for being here today. It's been an awesome conversation. And I would love to do it another time as well, if, uh, if you're up for it. Of course. <laughs> All right. It sounds good. Thank you, Bev. Okay. Bye for now.